it's Easter, we got to get back into it. So uh, let's give each other a face, uh, a, a faith exhortation. Just turn to someone and let's say, let's say, are you ready? Are you ready for this? Go ahead. Are you ready? Maybe some high fives. Got to get your faith on. Got your faith on because it's Easter. All right, we'll start with the warm-up question because we got to get the brain juices flowing. Get the brain juices flowing. So let's ask kind of an Easter question. On Easter, we celebrate, I mean, you know, resurrection, right? So a dead guy coming back to life, and, and we're going to read the story of that original Easter uh, Sunday. Uh, and it's such, a, such an otherworldly story. It's so, it's so unusual. So let me ask you, just to kind of get the imagination flowing to get the right images in your head, what would you say to, let's say, a formerly dead loved one that you met of a sudden? So we all have loved ones that have passed on. Uh, you get suddenly to meet them again and to have a conversation with them. What do you say? I'll give you eight seconds to think about it. Just try to like, be in that moment. They appear uh, in your living room and are like, hey, what do you say? What do you say? All right, who's got a good answer? Good to see you. Good to see you. All right, got to reach deep. Wow. Anyway, good, good to see you. That works. I missed you. Yeah, well, that's a gimme, sure. Because, yeah. What's that? How was it? <laughs> How was it? Brilliant question. Because you only meet so many formerly dead people. It's like, so what... What is it? You know, what's, what's beyond that frontier? Tell me about it. Tell me about it. Yeah. What else? Were you a dancer in Thriller? Were you a dancer in Thriller? No, 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 no. Child of the 80s, no. If you don't get that cultural reference, then I don't know. Read your Bible more. I don't know. What? Yes, sir. How is heaven? Yeah, because I mean, heaven is like... It's like the destination we want to we wanna know most about. All right, one more. Who's got the brilliant one? Who's got the best? You is risen. You is risen. You is risen. Yeah. And then your grammar gets corrected by a dead guy. All right, yeah. I mean, it's such a provocative question, right? And we celebrate Easter every year, and, and what it really comes down to is, is that interaction, Right? It comes down to uh, people having a sudden and surprising conversation with the formerly dead guy. In this case, it's, it's, uh, it's Jesus. There's lots to consider there. There's the relationship that you have with him, right? So it's like, gosh, I missed you. Like, you know, if one of my past loved ones were up here, I, I probably wouldn't say anything for a good while, <laughs> right? I'd just be hugging them and, and crying in a really macho way and... Uh, you know, and, and then you might have questions like, what was it like? You know, what happened? What can, what can you tell me? How is it going to be? Uh, stuff like that. And, and really, Easter is sort of a combination of those things. Can we just read the Easter story? Let the, the Easter story appears in, in uh, you know, uh, slightly different accounts in all four of the Gospels. Let's read the run from Matthew 28 today. I'm just going to go through it. Um, and let's just pay attention to how miraculous it is, and also how human and uh, point-to-relational uh, it is. Um, so as you know, Jesus uh, was executed on the Friday. He's been lying in the grave 
for a few days on Easter morning, um, Sunday, after the Sabbath, uh, they go to uh, check out his grave for the first time. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. So the two women. The, the men, as you know, Jesus' disciples, are hiding out. They're still in hiding. They're afraid of the authorities. It's the women uh, that have the courage here uh, in this story. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. That's fairly impressive. That's fairly otherworldly. The guards were so afraid, the religious authorities had posted guards at the tomb because they didn't want anybody, uh, uh, they didn't want his, his body to become a, a, a celebrated cause. Uh, the guards were uh, so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. They fainted away. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Jesus had told them that he was going to rise again. It's just they, did, they had not put two and two together. Uh, then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, which is an interesting little tidbit. There you will see him. Now I've told you. <laughs> I like that last phrase. There it is. Bye. Leaving them with one heck of a moment, I imagine. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, which could be the bumper sticker for that first Easter. Afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, clasped his, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. There's a lot of that in this story. Hey, stop freaking out. Go and tell my brothers and go to, Gal uh, to, go to Galilee. There they will see me. So that's the second time they get instructions to go to Galilee. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. Well, that must have been an interesting conversation. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. A guard who fell asleep on duty would have been executed, but somehow this is going to work. Indeed, they say, if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Uh, so the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And the story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then, finally, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, to the mount. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That also could be a... a, a bumper sticker for Easter. They worshipped him, but some doubted. It's just such a freaky story, yeah? Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. A lot of us have memorized that verse. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age, snaps for the Easter story. There you go. What do you think of that story? 
Stranger than fiction. That's not a bad summary uh, of the story. I feel like if you're going to read the story, you kind of have to get you have to get into it. You got to feel it a little bit because there are a lot of like joy plus fear, like surprise plus you know practical instruction. It's like it's uh, it's crazy that way. I, I often say that if you were going to invent a religion, you would never invent Christianity. You know, you've heard me say this before. Like if you were going to invent a religion, the religion you'd invent would probably be more like Islam. Right? Islam makes sense. It's very simple. If your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, you get into paradise. And when you get into paradise, you get rewarded in a way that makes sense to your flesh, if you know, if you know uh, the rules. We won't go into it. Um, and the heroes in Islam, like Muhammad, like he never did anything wrong. He was glorified. He was awesome. This story, on the other hand, uh, is filled with tensions, the heroes of the story, the people that would go on to lead the church in the gospel accounts are often presented as fools or cowards. You notice that? So like if they were inventing a little conspiracy religion, they probably would not have cast themselves in that light. So whatever else you say about the gospels, it's clear that the authors were really trying to write down what really happened. Now you could argue, oh, but they were crazy and deluded. Maybe, but they were honest. That much well, we know to be true. And this strikes me as a very, very honest uh, story. It's authentic, uh, uh, even though it's a little bit uh, embarrassing. Uh, so let's, let's go through it and, and kind of respond appropriately to the tensions and, and the humiliations and things like that. Like one of the ways we might respond is like a gasp. Let me hear a gasp. <laughs> exhale. I feel like I have exhale there. <laughs> Who, who has a really good gasp? Who's had a really good gasp? Callie has a good gasp. Let, let's hear, let's hear your, your gasp. That's, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, uh, one of the reactions that people have to the story could be like, no way. Like, you know, like, you know, and then an angel came. Like, no way. So let's hear your no way. One, two, three. No way. You were better at gasping. Let's just try that again. One, two, three. No way. How about, how about like, yes way? You know, because like, you, you have to answer that. So let's hear. Yes way. Yahweh, no. Stop. Who's got a really good no way? Like, who's that? Wow. That's impressive. All right. How about now somebody's got to answer. Who's got a good yes way? Yes way. <laughs> All right. So let's get you three up here. Come on up. Come on up. We'll do this. We'll do this appropriately. We'll do this appropriately. So you, you can go over in front of this section. The choir is going to get really mad at me. Sorry for moving your mics. And let's put, let's put Callie in the middle. We'll put Claudette over in the other section. Yeah, and Callie, you can stand right there. I'm just a bystander in this exercise. Center stage. Yeah. Come on, you love it. All right. This might not go well. Um, all right, so you lead them in gasping. This is your section. All right, one, two, three. 
Not yet. No way! Yes, way! No way! Yes, way! All right, now we're going to read the story. All right, there we go. Uh, after the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Oh, yeah, we're scaring the kid. We're doing great. There was a violent earthquake, for an, for an angel of the Lord came from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Do you feel the glory? (laughs) The angel said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. (gasps) A little more faith from this side of the room. (laughs) Your your job is declaration. Come on, Claudette, whip him into shape. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly to tell the disciples he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Give me some joy. Give me some joy. All right, all right, that's good. So um, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. You're you're nailing it now. Now you got it, yeah. Uh, They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and they're going to see me. And while the, women were on the, while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And the chief priests met with the elders. They came up with a plan. They bribed the soldiers with a large sum of money, telling them, yeah, come on. You are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole them away. If this report gets to the governor, we'll satisfy him. It'll be okay. So the soldiers took the money. Yeah. The thespians are coming out. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Doing better than I thought you'd do. Then Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've commanded you, and I will be with you to the end of the age. All right, all right, there we go. Well done, well done. Everybody bow. All right. You may sit down. Ah, all right.
Now turn to the person next to you and say, now are you ready for this? I think you start to feel the nature of the account, right? Because, you know, Jesus had always, always been supernatural. He had done all sorts of miracles. He had healed people and cast out demons and, and, and uh, predicted the future in amazing ways. Jesus had even resurrected other dead people from, from the dead, right? At least a couple times, Lazarus and the widow's son. Uh, so all of this stuff they had seen before. And Jesus had told the disciples plainly, just that week, in fact, that after three days, he would rise again. He explained to them as, as, you know, as clearly as he might, given the weirdness of the circumstance. But then they kind of watched him die, and their world fell apart, you know? And, and just when he came back to life, it was just a little, it was weird. I mean, like it was extra supernatural, extra miraculous, if that term makes any sense at all. Um, and, and this account is written in a style that honors that, right? It's written in a style that honors how difficult it was for the humans to deal with the God who truly had authority over death. You know, the God that truly created the universe. And although they had followed Jesus for years, it was nonetheless mind-blowing. Have you ever come to a point, uh, those of you who are veteran Jesus followers, where you're like, yeah, you know, I've believed this my whole life, but, but this is bigger. You know, this is particularly challenging. This, this season, this blessing, this trial really challenges me to the core, you know, something, something like that. They were challenged to the core when Jesus died. They were challenged to the core when he came back to life. It was a heck of a week for these guys, right? And it certainly wasn't an easy day. Everybody in the story is afraid. First, the guards are afraid, right? These are professional soldiers, and they're so afraid they fainted, you know, because this angel showed up. And it was just too, it was too otherworldly. Like, you could discuss angels, but then to actually encounter one, Everybody? Yeah, I didn't prep you for that one. Uh, and, then, uh, and then the women show up at the tomb. These were the women, the gutsiest women, who had the courage to go out in public and go tend to his body, finally. And the angel shows up to them, and the angel says to them, don't be afraid, because even they were a bit freaked out, although they had lived in Jesus' shadow for a few years and seen plenty of miracles. And then Jesus shows up, and he needs to say it again. He says, don't be afraid. Everybody on the best day in human history is freaked out and afraid, which is just a wonderful detail that, again, nobody would have faked. Uh, the men folk are so freaked out, they can't even leave, right? They, they appear only at the end of the story, <laughs> receiving the message. Um, so, again, nobody would have faked that. One thing that bugs me about this story is that one would think the guards standing at the tomb, having experienced the earthquake, seen the angels come up, roll the stone away, encounter the angels to the point of fainting, just to think that they would have had the guts to lie about it, having encountered supernatural beings, you know. But it just goes to show that, you know, people have a worldly conditioning. You know, it's possible to deny any experience if it's more convenient for you to do so. And there's some of that humanity in the story. 
which I think is really instructive and, and fascinating. And, and the chief plotters here are the priests, you know, which should get a gasp. Right, because they were the people who had given their lives to kind of studying the scriptures and knowing about the Messiah and all of that stuff. But when push came to shove, they were actually the chief betrayers, you know, the chief plotters, which is just, ah, it's just so, so very human, you know. If you were writing this story and trying to make friends with the establishment, you would not write it like this. Uh, it just shows that it, it wasn't fake. Uh, the disciples uh, get told to go to Galilee, and they knew to go to this particular mountain uh, to meet him, um, probably a mountain that they'd all gathered on before. And there they encounter the risen Jesus. And I love the way it says it. Says it. Uh, they saw him, they worshipped him, but some still doubted. You know? And that's just the human condition. It just says so, so much, right? Uh, it's worth noting that they obeyed, right? They went outside, they risked their life, they went to the spot where Jesus told them to go, they saw Jesus, they had every experience they were supposed to have and still doubted, and still doubted. And it just says to me that, you know, it's, again, it's hard to overcome your conditioning. It's hard to go from being a natural person to being a supernatural person. It's hard. And nothing makes that challenge clearer than Easter. Because right? you can believe that Jesus was a good moral teacher. You can believe that it's better to you know, have spirituality in your life and not and stuff like that. And then it's like, but do you believe enough to not worry about death? Do you believe that Jesus rose bodily from the dead? There has to be a decision point. And as God stole, told the story of, of himself on the earth, this actually was the decision point. Did he or did he not bodily rise from the dead? You can believe that God created the universe and still struggle to believe that Jesus rose bodily from the dead. Isn't that strange? It's, it's weird, but it's how we experience it because, you know, the universe happened back then. <laughs> uh, but to be confronted by a risen Christ, to be willing to actually let yourself get executed for the sake of faith, well, that's here and now, you know. And so God told this story in a way that was as in the in your face as possible. It's hard to overcome one's conditioning. You know, you really have to become a supernatural person. Faith is a lifelong discipline. You know, every day there's a challenge between faith living and normal living. And those of us who have been doing a while know that it's a daily decision. Jesus taught his disciples uh, years before this day if you wish to follow me, you must pick up your cross daily. Deny yourself and follow me. You have to be ready for the death thing. You have to be ready for the death thing if you want to pull this off in, in the long term. And then there's you know, this great punchline to this story. Um, you don't actually get to see Jesus raised from the dead in the tomb. If you did, that would probably be the best moment in the story. But perhaps... Rather, this is the best moment in the story. Jesus encounters all his disciples, and you can imagine what that's like, seeing your formerly dead loved one, you know, and they're hugging him, and they're worshiping him, and, and they're trying to believe their eyes. They're trying to believe that it really happened, you know? They're trying to believe that it really happened. And in the midst of that turbulence, 
in the midst of that doubt, in the midst of that humanness, I guess you could call it, Jesus gives them their calling. He gives them their purpose in life in the midst of all of that. And I just think that is so beautiful and appropriate. It's in the midst of turbulence and doubt that our calling comes. It's in the midst of your turbulence and doubt that God tells you what you're for and what you're supposed to do uh, in this life. And what he says is, you know, go and teach other people to live this life of daily faith and sacrifice, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. And they got to spend the rest of their lives figuring out what that meant, what it meant to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and to go out and to do everything that Jesus did, preaching the message, performing the miracles, and gathering people in to uh, saving faith and grace as he did. If you want meaning in your life, you have to accept that the world is actually supernatural and not natural. And you have to overcome your own conditioning. You know, you have to do both. Uh, as we say sometimes at Blue Water, you have to believe and you have to have faith. Slightly different things. You know, even the devils believe in God, but they don't really act it out in an appropriate way. You have to believe the story is true, and then you have to live that it's true. Or as we say at Blue Water, faith means trying. You have to try the things of God to exercise it. Jesus' main message was about the kingdom of heaven on earth, um, about bringing the order of heaven to the chaos of the world. Then we got to see him do that, like, you know, there's no sickness in heaven that would be out of order. So when Jesus spread the order of heaven on earth, he cured sick people. There are no demons in heaven that would be out of order. So when Jesus ministered on earth, he cast demons out of people. There's nobody in heaven that doesn't know uh, the love of God. So where Jesus ministered on earth, he spread knowledge and relationship um, having to do with the love of God. So he brought order to chaos, order to chaos. And death, of course, is the ultimate chaos, right? It's the ultimate worldly chaos. Right? If there's one thing we know about the universe, it's that it's tending to decay. You know, everything, everything dies. Um, but to bring the order of heaven, which is to say the order of eternity to earth, means to conquer death itself. And the rest of the New Testament is filled with statements about Christ and the people of God overcoming death, uh, sometimes on earth and always in uh, the next life. And we supernatural Christians uh, should be duly challenged by this. Ultimately, it's not the power of God in this life that brings order to, to us and to the universe. Ultimately, it's the next life that does. And Easter just makes a clear point uh, about that. Uh, life after death is a big deal. It's like the biggest deal that there is a life after death, that's the thing that makes sense of everything else. That's where the ultimate order is. That's how order comes to the chaos of the universe. It is the, here's a Latin phrase I remember from grad school, it's the sine qua non. It's the thing without which nothing else makes sense. Um, that's all I remember from my PhD work. A couple Latin phrases. If you only remembered one or two things about the teaching of Jesus, then you would do well to remember this. There is a next life. 
you know, there is a next life. And if you can live there, kind of daily push yourself to live there, even though your conditioning is against it, your expectations are against it, even though you've learned the lessons, you have to believe it anyway. But if you can live in the knowledge that there is another life coming, that this is all momentary and light, as Paul would put it, uh, then you'll live powerfully and freely forever, which is kind of a cool thing. And it's worth, worth wrestling with that. If you don't wrestle with it at least monthly, say, <laughs> then probably you're not confronting it as you should. You know, it's not a deep enough reality to you. Uh, we just went three, uh, through three years of uh, struggle with the pandemic and the shutdown and all the justice stuff, the political stuff, the wars, everything. I think we went through three years recently in which the fear of death pretty much became an idol, right? It pretty much became the thing that structured the entire world, right? It pretty much became the thing that structured our whole life, the way we did things, if we did things, all of that stuff. And it was all, in one way, shape, or form, predicated on fear of death. Uh, in some ways, that makes sense because, well, you know, you don't want to catch a deadly disease or something like that. But that can get spiritual really, really fast. And it can kind of erode your ability to live in such a way that you don't have any fear of death, ultimately. I mean, it's one thing to want to be healthy. But to let it kind of shape your life is a tough spiritual exercise for people who want to live in a spirit of victory. Right? So there was some, some tension there. Um, and it could be that giving fear of death so much authority in our lives maybe created more death than it should have, released a little more destruction uh, than was, when was proper. All to say, I think this is a great moment for Easter. I think it's a great moment for people to embrace Easter and be like, you know what, let's resurrect. You know what, let's celebrate. It's going to be weird. You've got to get your brain around it. You're going to have to live it out every day and be like, no, this really happened. This story actually not faked. There was no way they faked this. It actually went down, and I can live accordingly. And I don't know exactly what that means, but doggone it, I'm going to figure it out. That's where the fun and the joy is. That's where... That's where the way happens. You know, in the early days, they called the church the way. Let me hear it. The way. I expected better from you guys after all that practice. Yeah. Anyway, Christians should be particularly free and powerful people in this regard. Uh, what does it mean for you to live in victory over death? What does it mean? I don't know. Figure that out. But whatever it is that you figure out, that's your walk with Jesus in this world. You should be without limit. You should be miraculous. You should be supernatural. You should be filled with joy, overcoming all that fear uh, that you have in your natural human reactions. Though death looms, though we have doubt and very few of us can escape it entirely, we still think, yeah, but it really happened. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, yeah, actually, death still freaks me out. And it's like, oh, 
it's still hard for me to live and kind of that miraculous and all this. Yeah, but, but I think it really happened. I think that really was Jesus. I think the angels really did come. So let's end with that statement. Yeah, but it really happened. Not great, but I will accept it because it's human. And let's that be our Easter message today. Uh, Father God, uh, it's a weird story. And I just pray in faith and in hope of grace that you would make us a weird people. That though we struggle to accept the supernatural reality of the kingdom of heaven on earth, uh, that we would nonetheless strive to complete the commission that we get in the midst of that struggle. I pray, Lord, that we would make disciples of all people, that we would enjoy your presence wherever we go. That in this life would be enough for us. We say in Jesus' name, everybody says, amen.